Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. No, we did not stop podcasting. Uh, this is largely uh, my fault that that we've been on this long a delay. Um, man, summer, a couple of kids running around, just things got totally out of control. Fortunately, it's summertime, so I guess... I get a little bit of leeway on that. I know my man, Eric Fawcett's been crushing it with the Edmonton Stingers who uh, are in the playoffs. Congrats, Eric. That's big time stuff. And, and man, it's good. It's good to talk to you. It's been a bit. Yeah, it's been a while. We, uh, yeah, the Stingers, we just got in kind of by the uh, skin of our teeth, unfortunately, but uh, Hey, we're, we're in there uh, nonetheless. So we'll see how that goes. I'll be, be sure to uh, be sure to update, but uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been uh, quite a, uh, you know, it's, it is the summer, but there's been lots going on. Of course, the transfer classes around the country are largely finished. We saw uh, various rankings that saw the Gators um, really at a, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how, how different services rank uh, transfer classes. And you can see that with the way that uh, the Gators are uh, uh, valued very differently by different uh different outlets. Um, the Gators released their non-conference schedule. Um, the Gators had a decommitment. Um, I think they had a commitment. I'm not sure if we talked about uh, the, the final uh, um, kind of final spot. So, uh, and then of course there was, uh, there was TVT and, uh, and the Gataverse team. So uh, Neil, where do you want to, where do you want to go with uh, all that's going on? Yeah, I think we can get into um, like, well, let's just do what we probably haven't done, which was I know that they added uh, the Lithuanian point guard, Kaius Kublikas. Uh, maybe we start there and then kind of get into the TBT, um, which even though it was one game, I thought was super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess if we're going to – so, sorry, we talking. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, like let's this. let's do Kublikus, and then we can yeah, yeah. we can go. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a take that I that I really like. Um, this is one that um, it, it's it's again. It's is it going to help the Gators right away? Uh, no, but for people who uh, don't know, so he plays at Kaunas, which is like, or he's from there, and he's playing with Z the Zogiris system, um, which would be like the top club in in Lithuania. Um, a country that basketball is their number one sport. Um, of course, in the pro development system, they're getting these guys when they're, you know, 15, 16 years old, if they're good enough and uh, they're, you know, getting them into the system. And so he was playing largely with the, the second team um, still with like men and he was a high school student. Um, but uh, uh, he did have a couple, couple games there with the big club, which is like, uh, very difficult. I mean, like, you know, Zogiris is a team that would kill anyone in the SEC and he was able to be on that floor and, um, you know, and compete uh, and not be totally out of place. Um, so, and I think that a lot of people kind of saw that I was excited. Uh, well, you know, and we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but uh, kind of versus, um, I think a lot of people were like, oh, but Eric, you weren't like all that excited when the Gators got Alex Shimchik and, you know, you're kind of been measured with the Alex Condon stuff. You know, why do you, why do you like this one so much? And it's like, again, Shimchik was playing for a NBA Academy and was probably going to go to a prep school. Again, I'm not, you know, not saying it's a bad take, but just, you know, for the sake of what I'm going to say. So, that, you know, Condon playing an NBA Academy kind of had mid major offers. Um, Zublekis was playing for one of the best pro teams in Europe's development system. And, 
when one of the biggest uh, pro teams in Europe has a player in their development system um, in their second team who is able to, you know, play some, some spot games up, up at the, with the top club when, when there was an injury, like that, that, that just shows a, a, a much higher level of, of polish. And I would even say potential um, to his game. And again, it's like, if uh, not trying to, push down Shimchik in this thing, but like, would he be like, if he was, if Shimchik was maybe a, a better player or more developed as a high school player, he'd probably be with Alba Berlin or one of the best teams in Germany in their club system. He wasn't, he was in an NBA Academy, which is still great. But like, this is, this is just like, I would say that the, the situation of being with Zogaris is, um, yeah, it just shows a much higher level of development. He's had a very high level of coaching and, uh, yeah, I just think that this is like this like these are the kind of international flyers that I'm going to get excited about when you go to Zilgiris and get a point guard from their training system. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes with with all the NBA Academy stuff with some of that the, those kind of situations, which I'm not against. Um, but I'm going to get real excited when you go to the best clubs in Europe and get guys from their development program. So um, that was kind of my first thoughts, um, even though I didn't even really talk about his game. So maybe that's where you're going to have to jump in, Neil. No, I like it. I mean, look, I'm I was pumped about it too. You know that. And, and people, our listeners know I'm a little, probably a little higher on uh, Condon than I that I am on uh, Shimchik and and higher than Eric on Condon as well. I think that's totally fair to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked this take a ton. Um, Eric said everything I think that needs to be said about Zogaris. Kavarius Hayes is there, so that's the kind of player that he's like competing against practice wise, even if he's with two. Because the way that European squads run practices is a little different than things work in the NBA where they come in and shoot and watch some film and really like it's about nutrition and weightlifting and health um, a lot of the time once the season starts. But even in the off season that, you know, they, they integrate trainings a lot like the soccer clubs do. So um, he's competing against players who've already played at a really high level. Uh, and one way that I can like illustrate that, I guess, for listeners is when he steps down and plays with the Lithuania U18s, which is where he's with other sort of rising college style players, his numbers are way better, right? Like he shoots better. He shoots 8% better from three. He shot 45% from three with the national team. Average 4.4 assists to just 0.9 turnovers, which is an absurd uh, assist to turnover differential in in his international games. So he's an effective international player for Lithuania already at the U18 level. And then he's playing in what I consider to be one of the best club teams in the world outside of the NBA. So um, this is the kind of international take that, that I – I would agree with Eric. I'd get more excited about, and that's not really a knock on this NBA Academy in Australia that has produced good players. It's just that their roster of, of good players is not nearly the roster that that Zalgiris is producing. Yeah. And again, just like for me personally, when I see um, a player playing in the second division in, in, in Lithuania, like it's just, it's obviously just, it's easier to contextualize that from seeing Alex Condon play in NBL one against like, uh, not only saying this half jokingly plumbers um, because, you know, when he's playing right. in the NBL one, there is, it is like, he's playing at some semi-pro teams with like dudes that, you know, 
are working trades jobs and, and doing this on the weekend, um, which is actually, again, like I will uh, um, not to say that that's what NBA Academy is, but the NBA Academy had a team in, in NBL one, the kind of summer league development system of Australia, um, which is actually probably just a good idea to, at this point, I'm going to plug our, our Patreon, Neil, just because, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have the I I did a video with with Alex Condon showing some of his NBL one highlights, talking a little bit about his game, and then of course um, with with Zulikas, um because uh, because he's playing with Zilgiris. There's actual really good film against really good opponents. So um, I will yeah plug our Patreon for those who uh, those videos I uh, are not out yet, but they are recorded and and, and ready to go. So if you want uh, videos on all Florida's transfers um, and now some of the in, with the incoming players with with Condon with Zulikas, like um, you know. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of great stuff about uh, a, a lot of people that cover Florida basketball, but I don't know where else you're going to get Zilgiris breakdowns of, of incoming players. So if you want to watch Zilgiris film, you can get on our, on our Patreon as a subscriber and, and get that. But uh, um, yeah, someone who uh, like, like you alluded to Neil is um, pretty like traditional point guard has shot the ball really well. I was kind of surprised when you said that he shot 8% better at three, um, or better from three playing with the national team because I was like, Oh, cause he shot the ball really well at uh, playing with Zogiris. So, um, you know, as a mid high, you know, thirties, three point shooter had to pick up full court a lot. I'm um, defending at that level. Um, I would say the big thing with him is he is small. I think he's listed at six one and like, I forget what weight they listed him at probably like 170 or something, but yeah, uh, 165, 165, um, six, one could be generous. It could be around there, but um, yeah, he's definitely, um, that would be the, the limiting factor. And, and uh, that's where the like flyer type situation would, um, would, would come in because he is someone who shoots the ball well and passes the ball. Well, um, I think defense pretty well given his size, but uh, yeah, especially again, playing with men, um, he was bullied a little bit, um, pushed off a spot and uh, that's going to be of course a part of the development, but uh, yeah, someone who, a point guard who plays, um, really intelligently and shoots the ball really well that has had high level coaching and high level experience uh, much more than really any high school player that's going to step into, into college. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's the kind of guy that uh, if, if the Gators like we're going to take, you know, two international players every year, which has kind of been the rate that they've been at so far. Again, that's of course a little bit because of like coming into a um, coming in, 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 and, and immediately, you know, recruiting to uh, uh, add, a, add a new program kind of, you know, it's, it's, I don't think they're going to take two every year, but you know, if they take three every two years or whatever it is, um, if, if one or two of those players were like players that were in high level development systems in Europe and the other ones were like NBA Academy guys, I think that would be a good, a good kind of breakdown, good way to go. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. Especially if they're going to continue to land uh really good transfer classes, which it looks like, this staff is certainly capable of doing just to, for those Eric said, it's interesting. Look at where rankings are. Um, Florida did come out. There have been final rankings on the portal released by at least three services that I've seen 24 seven has Florida at 12th in their transfer class ESPN sixth, and then Evan Maya number one. So a pretty wide range, really, like a 12-spot range is significant. But then again, when you think about the fact that there are uh, 363 teams in Division One college basketball, anywhere from 1 to 12 is, is awfully special. 
Yeah, so I mean, I guess we're just going to ask you straight up, Neil, like, where do you think the Gators class is? And again, it's not like you need to be it. I know it's when every high major team is bringing in four to six players. Usually it's hard to be intimately knowledgeable on every high major team. But, you know, looking at what you 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 have seen, where would you where would you kind of have the Gators class? So I really think I'd put it about five or six right around where ESPN has it. Um, You know, I think. I think uh, what Kansas added to me between like the combination of NBA ready talent or NBA caliber talent, or certainly G league caliber talent um, plus proven college production, uh, I think is, is a little better. I probably like, probably like, Arkansas's class a little better in the SEC, Eric. Um, but that's it. I would have Florida at second in the league for for whatever that means to people. I love what what St. John's has done. It's going to take a little while, but um, you know when you when you talk about Jordan Dingle, you talk about Chris Ledlam, you get two really really elite players from a very good league. We talked about how the Ivy League is good. They add Naheem Aline, who um, has been a productive player everywhere he's been, really. Um, Joel Soriano is, is one of the best bigs in terms of like, I'm going to give you 15 and eight, even if it's not sexy in the country. And then the best basketball coach in the sport, I think collegiately on the sideline, I think you throw all that into the mix and maybe that's a little better than what Florida did, but I love what, what Florida did for all the reasons we've talked about on previous podcasts. And, and I think, you know, for me, the more interesting question is like, who's the most productive guy for Florida? You know, and or not more more interesting, but I think just as interesting as like where they are nationally. And yeah, I mean, I think it's really for me that's how they how do they deploy Zion Pullen? Um, and another plug for the Patreon, like if you haven't watched the Zion Pullen video that Eric did, uh, do so. Um, it's not a knock on any of Eric's other work. Just, <laughs> no, that's probably the best one. That's <laughs> yeah, it's just really really good. And I think you see like all the reasons that it's probably going to translate really well in the SEC, I think. And Neil, if someone were to say that was not a subscriber, if they were to subscribe today, would they be able to see all the like back stuff that's been posted? If that makes sense. Yeah. Once, once you subscribe, you have access to everything uh, from the first post. So you can read all. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not like you, you're getting stuff on the fly. Like you subscribe, you get access to everything. All right. Well, the page, yeah, the Zion Poland one was, was probably the, the, the best. Um, I think, again, I think I, I probably derive the most um, enjoyment out of doing the ones from, uh, from players that people maybe haven't watched as much. So again, I just know that it's like difficult to watch big West games when, especially when they're on the, uh, um, uh, the, the cursed flow hoops um, service. So uh, anyways, it was, it was, that was a fun one to do for sure. But uh, um, yeah. And uh, like every transfer has a video and every, or, and there's some, some common stuff. There's some, some like a stuff. I'm going to definitely do a Riley Kugel video. Um, but uh, yeah, there'll be lots of, lots of video um, coming up uh, on the Patreon. So yeah, another, another plug, but um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I remember when Evan Maya had the Gators transfer class number one, like, of course, everyone knows I love I love Evan. Uh, number one is 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 pretty crazy to me. Um, I don't even know if I would go top five. Um, I actually think that twenty four seven having the Gators at twelve is 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 probably 
close to where I'd have them. I think I might have the Gators 14th or 15th, but I wouldn't stick to the, uh, like the 24 seven one. And I, and I know we've talked about this, even in the context of high school recruiting. Um, it, it's like volume is going to be rewarded more than quality. So like their second best class is West Virginia. Like, I, I don't think anyone would tell you West Virginia has the second best class, but they brought in eight players um, given the nature of, of their situation with Bob Huggins leaving. So like, you know, that's it's take, take the 24 seven with a grain of salt, but yeah, I think Kansas is better. I think Alabama's class is better. I think Arkansas is better. Like you said, I, I know Texas is better. And um, oh, I guess I, not that this is the podcast just to plug everything, but um, I did write a Gator country about every incoming class in the, in the sec. And one that's really interesting. And one that I do remember from writing that, 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 um, that 24 seven has higher than the Gators is Ole Miss actually and Ole Miss has a very kind of interesting class because you know they have Alan Flanagan who of course people people remember um you know, people know him from from Auburn um they have Jalen Murray who people will remember from uh, from St. Peter's in their NCAA tournament run um Musa Cisse um you know big bodied guy from from Oklahoma State um and uh you know Jamarian Sharp that seven foot four uh big man from from uh Western Kentucky like they've got a bunch of like interesting players and then they have like brandon murray who like scored a ton of points but for a georgetown team that was terrible so like i'm not sure if i could like snap my fingers and trade classes i think that i'd rather have that for for the gators um so for that reason i'm not sure i would say it's a better class than the gators but i could certainly see a situation where that is a better class than than florida so and I, and I think that that's kind of just one of the things that we'll have to, and again, we'll, we'll see how it breaks down when the games start. But like, I would say the biggest hole for the Gators is, you know, I'm just not sure they got like a stud. I think they did really well. And maybe Zion Pullen is a stud. Maybe Walter Clayton is, is, is that dude. But like, I think on the surface, there's not someone who you can be like, wow, that is a guy that's going to score. 15 plus points in the sec and, you know, be a monster. Right. And, and I do think there's, you know, 10 plus teams who did get one of those guys. So that right. would be the one thing that I would say, like, maybe those classes are better, but um, yeah, it's uh it's certainly interesting to see. And uh, uh, if you're, you know, a real college basketball junkie, I'd just go to 24 seven and start to look at those teams at the top of the, the transfer class rankings, check out who, uh, who changed hands and, and, and who went where. Cause uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. And then of course we can revisit this and we always learn stuff in the portal about what kind of players translate and what's, what don't fascinating to see how, you know, Max Asmus works out at, at Texas. I think it'll work really well, but there's a couple fits like that that are just going to be, you know, super fun to watch. And uh, it's one of the fun parts about college basketball is, you know, or, or the positives of, of the transfer portal. It's almost, you know, everyone loves in the NBA, all the, off-season movement, um, it's become pretty fun to look at these top transfer classes in, in college basketball and say, like, wow, do you think, you know, Ole Miss or Texas or Florida is better? It's It makes for good – makes for some good uh, some good off-season thinking. Yeah. No, and I think I think I'm comfortable with six. Like I said, you know, I like – I like uh, just the balance across the board. Like, I think you could say, hey, they didn't get a stud, but there's not a flyer, I don't think, other than Julian Richwain which is, you know, I think that there are recruiting benefits to that, which I talked about. Um, he might not even play this season, doesn't have to play this season, the way that the rotation is set up. I do still have it second in the SEC. And I say that noting that, like, you know, Eric makes a great point about getting a stud. And I think, you know, obviously uh, Alabama 
is an interesting squad because, you know, they have pretty significant losses. Obviously, uh, they lose Brandon Miller. They lose uh, Javon Quinterly and Mark, you know, after the NBA draft, which are all deadline had, they get Javon Quinterly and Mark Sears back, but then Charles Bediakos kind of surprise departure. Then Quinterly hits the portal, but I think they did get a star in Grant Nelson, who's going to be just a monster in the sec. So like you could, you could make the argument that Nelson and Estrada packs enough star power to be better than Florida's class. And like that would make some sense to me. I'm not totally sure that I think that that's the case, but anyway, I will actually tweet out Eric's, uh, SEC transfer portal roster breakdowns from the Florida Basketball Hour Twitter account soon because um, there's a lot of really great stuff in there. But um, pretty good points uh, all around and, and certainly an interesting topic of conversation as we move ever so slowly closer and closer to fall camp and the season. It's a good time, Eric, to talk about our sponsor um, or one of our sponsors. Florida Basketball Hour is brought to you by the Gatorverse. G-A-T-A verse now, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting UF fans and student athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real life experiences, giveaways, VIP events and rewards while athletes receive a majority of revenue of sales from their collectibles. That's the way NIL was supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and making NIL work the way it's supposed to, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. They had a great uh, time hosting an event with over 40 UF student-athletes, including Leanne Wong uh, and Trevor Etienne, among some stars that were at the uh, event they held for the TBT team. Um, unfortunately for the TBT guys, man, uh, they just they just couldn't get a bucket at the end of the game there in the Elam ending. Uh, in kind of a woeful possession at the end of the game. And all of that was a shame because I really wanted to watch Corey Brewer cook for another couple nights, man. That guy, I mean, you wouldn't know that that Seabrew was uh, nearly a 40-year-old man out there. He's just taking people to school, Eric. And he did a lot, uh, a lot more in the tank than, than I expected. And uh, it was big time that he stepped up. I mean, you mentioned that the, the, the team couldn't, uh, couldn't get a bucket there in Elam. Um, but they also couldn't get a bucket to start the game. And that was a, a little bit of a hole they dug themselves. And it was Corey Brewer just like willing the team Pretty you know, kind of back into it um, single-handedly. And it was kind of interesting because it's like Corey Brewer played a long time in, in the NBA. Um, of course, had a great career at Florida. He was never really a, like give him the ball, get out of the way and, and, and let him will you to a bucket. But like, that's what he was doing at, you know, 40 years old or near 40 or, you know, wherever he's at. Um, so uh, it was it was cool to see. Um, I I was really disappointed that uh, they were out because I I wanted I wanted it to, to last a little bit uh, longer for sure. See this team compete again, and also just knowing um, how much work kind of went into this um, from from organizing, getting the players together, from from Coach Matt McCall, um, uh, getting ready, setting things up, getting a system together, practicing. Um, of course, the event they put on where, like you said, it wasn't just a basketball event. They had like all kinds of incredible athletes from all across campus. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was too bad that it uh, fell after, after kind of one game, but it was also just a reminder of like the kind of caliber that the, that TBT is like every once in a while, like I'm not saying the Gators were one of these teams, but like all the time there's like, you know, teams come together and, you know, 
TBT tweets out the roster with the eyes emoji. And it's like, are they going to take it all? And then you see that it's like the teams that have been in TBT for multiple years, um, players that have been in TBT for multiple years um, that go on and have success. And there was times where the Gators uh, just looked young out there. And as much as I think people, a lot of people might look at TBT and think like, oh, you know, it's a glorified pickup game. Um, I mean, you see that it's, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of veteran dudes with a lot of high level overseas experience um, playing the game and uh, the Gators, you know, were pretty young and uh, yeah, of course they were, could have, could have used some juice in the front court. And, and he, I've, I've got to say, Neil, like I wanted to be all, all positive, just, you know, loving the Gators alumni team, but it was hard. <laughs> it was hard to not think about and no fault of Gatorverse, no fault to Matt McCall, but uh, some years of unfortunate uh, player acquisition and recruiting of the real Florida Gators um, kind of left uh, the cupboards a little bare for Gatorverse to try to build a team. You know what I mean? Like you look yeah. at the players that had have, have, have success in this event. Many of them were, you know, class, of, you know, uh, players from, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018. And that was uh, not a particularly uh, strong um, time for the Gators um, on the court um, with their recruiting. Um, yeah with their development. And uh, yeah, I think that it, that was one thing when I was watching the team play and there was like, Oh, there's some like, you know, pretty good current guys. And, you know, I really like Flanders Fleming's game and, and it was good to see Kayvon Allen, but you're just like, wow, there was like a gap of many classes where the Gators did not, uh, they did not have anyone represented at, uh, at Gatorverse because there wasn't really any players that were, would be good enough. So unfortunately it was uh, the, the real life Gators were uh, um, a, a stretch of, you know, pretty, I'll say disappointing, you know, stretches of, of real college basketball at the NCAA level um, left the poor Gatorverse TBT team without uh, a very good pool of talents to drop on. Um, but that's only going to be uh, only going to be better moving forward. So um, I hope they uh, hope they stay at it. Uh, it seems like there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm there to, to keep it up. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm really thankful for, for, for Gatorverse for doing that. And I know a lot of fans just like, absolutely loved the event that they put on absolutely loved seeing a Gators alumni team so uh yeah full credit to them yeah no I mean it was cool and I know they had a get together where you know everybody and anybody was that you know was available to come was there including Billy Donovan uh Donnie Jones I mean all these guys that came back just to spend time together and um they had an event at the women's club, which uh, our guy Malik Grady got a lot of good audio and video from, which we're going to throw up on our Patreon as the summer goes on. Um, you know, so you guys can can catch up to some people and see, you know, what folks have been up to. But I think that's really cool uh, in terms of just getting that family feel and celebrating the history that is Florida basketball. It's one of the reasons that I started this podcast was kind of like, to do that and just sort of cherish that. And I think that Eric's point is really well taken that, yeah, I mean, there were some lean years and and they did try to get Kavarius Hayes to play. And I think Kavarius, you know, relishes his off season time. And um, so that left kind of a gap in the front court. Cause uh, I know, you know, I don't know if they reached out to Vernon Macklin or not. That wasn't somebody that I talked about, but I know Vernon's had some back issues uh, here and there over the years and who knows if he would have been healthy enough anyway to help but there just wouldn't have been a lot uh, there you know I don't know uh, what Skylar Rimmer's offseason looks lo- looks like but I don't know if you're bringing in an NBA assistant coach to play in the TBT <laughs> man like you know it's, it's kind of like 
you start thinking about where your front court options would be, and it's almost like Kavarius Hayes or Bust to some extent. There just wasn't a lot of teeth. Uh, yeah, in, like yeah. In the Florida front court, Eric. Yeah, like Dante Bassett's playing in in in, Czech, in Czechia, which I think is like maybe the kind of caliber of guy that you could maybe get over. Like again, the, the I, I'm glad they reached out to Kavarius Hayes, but like that's a Euro League team that he plays for, so I just don't think that like that's just not the kind of guy that's gonna. Yeah, he just come over. Um, Gorjak Yak was playing in NBL one, but as some people could probably imagine, he uh, his injury like he actually has been fairly healthy and been able to play pro. But um, uh, you know, I think he's someone who's pretty mindful of his uh, uh, of his health, as is uh, John Bunu, who's actually been able to have a really solid career in, in Israel. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's tough for these guys. Uh, tough tough for them when they uh, you know they've got. Uh, it's these year-to-year contracts in, in in Europe. They don't want to want to risk anything. So, uh, so we definitely saw with the front court recruiting, um, or sorry, I should say, like with the front court players available. But yeah, even I think that I'd be interested to see the numbers. But like, Florida's team had to be one of the youngest rosters out there, um, and uh, yeah, it, they they still put on a you know really good show for sure. And uh, I, I I think that even maybe if there are some of those guys that were on the fringes of wanting to do it or not. Uh, maybe just kind of seeing the team in action, seeing the events in, in, in Gainesville, maybe that's what uh, gets them over the edge. So uh, for next year, and maybe they end up playing. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, you, you have to start somewhere and uh, for them to go and play a competitive game against a good team. Of course, that's the other thing too, that I think some people will say like, Oh, like, you know, getting out in the first round, that's disappointing. Like, I mean, this isn't like the NCAA tournament where the bracket yeah. is, is, it's, it's meticulously, you know, it's not like there's a, a 30 game sample size to, then, <laughs> you know, seed these teams out and make a proper bracket. Like did the Gators get done dirty in the draw? Like, yeah, they did. They, they played a, a really good team. Um, that, so I don't think the Gators were necessarily, or Gatorverse was, I don't think they were necessarily a, a first round team. I think if they played some of the other, you know, if they got one of, you know, 18 other teams, I think they, they win maybe easily, but you know, such is life in a tournament like that. Yeah, no doubt. And I did get a note about Macklin that, that uh he's coaching uh in korea so um getting him back for a lengthy period of time for the training and practices was was also not an option so florida made some efforts it sounds like to bolster the front court with some guys macklin had just retired about a year and a half ago after a long career in europe and asia um and uh yeah i mean it was just it was always going to be tough but you really can't fault them for Hey, look, man, they made a great comeback. If you watch the game, it was a super entertaining game. Uh, like Eric said, they got off to a horrible start, made a big comeback, fell behind again, made another big comeback, actually led going into the Elam ending, and then uh, 69-67, and then lost in the, the race to 77. So, um, you know, bummer, bad last possession, insert Mike White joke about what in the world was going on on the final possession. Very unfortunate to see, like, Noah Locke just not really effective uh, either. Um, we did get some – some I won't call them hate tweets. We got some cynical tweets about how we thought Noah Locke might be an effective player at Florida still. And, you know, I can explain that away as, like, first of all, this was a TBT game, not an SEC basketball game. Second of all, like – I did think Noah Locke, and I think Eric did too, like 
if he had accepted the role that he had at Florida, mm. like that would have been a better place for him to finish his collegiate career. I don't think that's a bad take. <laughs> I think that's a completely reasonable take. I'm glad that he got to play in the NCAA tournament. He obviously didn't harbor hard feelings for Florida, you know, from what I understand, had a great time back in Gainesville and enjoyed himself. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just harder. Florida was the fourth youngest team in the field, according to uh, oh. TBT. So very, very young uh, group. And hopefully they, they get the band back together again. Um, I don't know if Matt McCall will be involved. I certainly hope he gets back into – to college coaching here real soon, but um, it was fun. It was fun to see, see that. And, and again, a good game. Yeah. I'll, I'll be really interested to see. Um, I was going to say if I, if or when, but I think it's probably when um, McCall gets back into coaching. It was definitely good to see him on a sideline. Um, he's done well uh, doing, you know, calling games this last, this last year and, and, and doing some podcast work. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm also curious to see even if being on, on uh, you know, being back in Gainesville, being um, on a stage like, like TBT, I wonder if that even got his, his, his juices flowing a little bit more to get back on, on the sideline full time. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is all I have on, on TBT. I, I hope so, man. Cause they ran some pretty sets, which is a good transition to listener questions. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Matt McCall, um, no, here's a here's a great question from uh, five six one Kai, who was one of the guys that that uh, made it out for that reunion event. What type of offense do you anticipate Florida playing this year? Do you think Florida will push tempo a little bit, considering their depth? Uh, yeah, I do think they'll they'll push tempo. I think they wanted to do that kind of last year. Um, but uh, you know, we we know who they 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 had as, as as ball handlers, and of course, the depth was was an issue. So um, I think I, I always think even again, I think people, um, and it seems to happen every year because every year, the consensus is that Florida seems to have depth, and this is you know, well be, well before Todd Golden. So don't this isn't just this current current right. coach staff. Right. But um, for years for years um, of this podcast, people have said, oh look, the Gators are deep. Therefore, you know, will they press? Will they play fast? And uh, I don't know, I. Depth certainly helps. I think it's it's the talent of, of players and their skill sets that decide whether or not you play fast. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, coaching to an extent. Um, well, you know, to a rather you know big extent. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like it's just like these are you know young guys in, in great shape. So depth is great, but you need guys that just have really have that skill set and a coach who's who's willing to you know put in a system to make it work. So I do think the Gators will play faster. Um, the depth should help. Um, I think having um, some bigs that are that are pretty mobile, whether it be just um, Tyree Samuel, whether it be handlocked in, whether it be Alex Condon, who runs like a gazelle, like having some of the bigs that can kind of run the floor really well will, will certainly help. Um, in terms of what offense, I, I've, I'm kind of of two. I have two kind of thoughts. I'll be interested to see how Neil follows this up, what you're thinking. But um, like on one hand, it was like they were – resolute that they were going to continue to play continuity ball screen despite it not working. So when that happens last year, I kind of think, well, like that's clearly what they want to do. Um, so that could be the case. They have some more ball handlers that are a lot more dynamic this year. So when you've got Riley Kugel and Zion Pullen and, and Walter Clayton as your three guards that are going to be ball handling, if you were to play kind of a traditional continuity ball screen. Um, yeah, that's certainly a lot more electric than, 
Kyle Lofton and company last year. So um, maybe they do that. But I also think that this was, uh, you know, we don't need to talk about how bad the offense was last year generally. So like, do they go back to the drawing board and do something totally different? Um, there's just not a big enough sample size of, of, of golden and, and what he likes to do. He just hasn't been at, uh, um, hasn't been in college coaching, uh, at the head coach level for super long for, to, to really see what different styles he might be comfortable with. Um, so yeah, I, I, my, I, my answer really is like coming off a brutal offensive season. I kind of hope they change something up and I don't know what they would do. Um, but when you see how, how staunchly resolute they were about continuity ball screen last year while it wasn't working. Um, well, now that they have better personnel for it, maybe they, they do go back to that, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of unsure. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way that they work the portal, it seems like there's going to be an element of that. No doubt the personnel is better. Um, I still think they need to be much better, um, from an overall schematic standpoint in terms of how they change things from game to game. I thought they were pretty predictable and stolid scout at times um, because they were so ideologically committed to continuity ball screen. You know, I don't know if that, you know, does personnel change that? Sure. But you still have to coach them. Um, So we'll see if, if that, you know, that, that gets a little better. Uh, I do think, you know, I, you, you kind of get into where you you think that they can be better and, like, the obvious areas they can be better are shooting the three um, from a percentage standpoint, but also from an open shot standpoint. Uh, they have to get more open threes, not just make better threes. And then I think, um, you know, on the offensive glass, and the interesting thing about that is, like, does Florida actually commit to trying to get offensive rebounds this year? Cause I do think one adjustment they made last season really was they were getting cooked in transition defense a lot. Todd golden, at least at San Francisco, loved to throw bodies at the boards, try to get offensive rebounds. His teams were very good at it. Um, last year, Florida was, I think 320th in that category, Eric. So that could be one thing that, that is interesting to me. Are they able to get more easy buckets? Um, you know, if there's not a significant upgrade to sort of the flow of the offense. Yeah, it's a good point about the offensive rebounding. I'll be interested to see, of course, um, someone who's very into analytics and, and numbers is going to try to get extra possessions. Um, and uh, so that means, you know, sending guys to the, to the glass a lot of the time. And uh, um, that was one one decision that um, – while I'm sure it was painful for, for Golden to be like, yeah, we can't offensive rebound as much, but like this this transition defense is horrendous and we've got to fix it. Um, while I think it was the right decision at the time, yeah, I, I think he'd love to go back to uh, to getting more guys on the glass, and um, especially if he's going to play the two bigs um, a little bit more that uh, you'd like to. Um, yeah, if you're going to play two bigs, like that's just something you like have to do. Like there's if, if, if it is going to be like a Tyree Samuel, you know, like a hand locked in starting front court or even those guys just playing considerable minutes next to each other. It's like they have to get after the glass. Like, it's just like that. That's one of the ways that you would derive value from playing bigger is, is to be dominant on the offensive glass. So, um, and uh, if they're dominant on the offensive glass, that will also make Florida's offense look, look a lot better. Uh, That is for sure. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, those are sort of the big questions, at least in my mind right now. Jack Burton Mercer asked if the roster is set, and I think with the addition of Kublikas, uh, it is set. Um, Kublikas is obviously not enrolled yet um, based on the fact that there hasn't been any change on the, the Florida website as it relates to the roster. Uh, unless I missed it, there hasn't been a press release uh, indicating that he has officially signed, um, but he is added. They do anticipate he'll be with the team this year. So um, yeah, I would say that the roster is set and that is a good place to get into that next question. Um, knowing that Kublikis is now coming uh, it's it's a great transition to this question too for Montrose Mosley at Gatorbait eighty nine asks what are your expectations for Denzel Aberdeen next season? Um, that was his first question. We'll answer both of them. Why not? Oh, you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have expectations for Denzel Aberdeen. Um, I think I did this on a previous pod. Like, I don't expect them to get much from him. Um, next year that doesn't mean that i don't think he can't become a contributor at the power six level i actually like that he's a big guard um and you know i like that todd golden as weird as it was to see him thrown into some spots late in the season after the castleton injury i think that'll serve him well and i think he gets a taste of you know how fast the game moves at that level and um you know, what he's going to have to do to contribute in the SEC. But there's not – like, I don't look at anything that Denzel Aberdeen did as a freshman and say, man, he really does that well, and he does it well enough to where he can penetrate Florida's rotation. Like, just don't see that happening. Yeah, it's uh, I, I it's always, like, hard to say, like, I have no expectations because I think people see it as, as a negative, and I think there's a lot of people that would be hoping that we'd be like, oh, well, we think he's going to play 15 minutes a game and, and shoot 36% from three-point line and – guard really well and, and be good in transition. And, and like, maybe that's the case, but I, I just personally haven't, didn't see enough um, for like, not, I not, I'm not even saying I didn't see enough from him. It's just like, I did not see enough of him. Like he was just not on the floor enough that I could really change my opinion about him from, from high school. So it's just kind of like, which was, which was, you know, good. I think it was a good take for the Gators excited to see what he, what he is. But like, when it comes to a player like this, I think anyone who, has any judgment is, is just kind of, you know, like, I, I just don't know what that could be based on other than, you know, practice videos. And of course what people are saying, but this is the time of year when everyone gets, you know, talked about positively in every program in the country. So um, yeah, excited to see what he'll, he will bring, but I have um, no real expectations. And I think that there's a situation where, um, where you have Zion Pollen and Walter Clayton and, and Riley Kugel and Will Richard. And uh, just, if you, if you just have those guys just dominating all the um, backcourt kind of wing positions and there's not a big space for Denzel Aberdeen, even if he's, you know, playing really well. So he'll certainly obviously have his, have his chance to compete in practice and he'll get his chance on the court in games to kind of prove. But like, I, th- I, I just think I'm like looking forward to waiting and seeing what he, he looks like. I have no real expectations at the moment. Yep. Second question was uh, who is Florida targeting in the 2024 uh, recruiting class? Um, you know, with the decommitment of John bull uh, and 
you know, obviously they still have Isaiah Brown in the mix. So I think um, that's a guy that that is obviously already on board. And I think I tweeted out some stuff about Isaiah Brown as like a guy that I expect to take a pretty big, um, a pretty big leap, Eric, in terms of what his recruiting ranking is. Uh, I think that that he'll you know have a chance to to really shine, and that'll be good. Um, I don't know if anybody outside of Ryan Jones is necessarily a guy we consider leaning Florida right now in, in the 2024 group. I do think that they'll get Ryan Jones. I've been pretty steady with that protection. I'm going to stick with it. Um, I do know 2025 stud Mikel Brown Jr. Took it on official last month. Loved it. Um, staff feels real good about where they are. Expect him to do an official uh, to UF in um, either the fall for Florida State or sometime early in SEC play. So I would expect him on campus um, in you know in a position where they can they can try to close on him. But in terms of other 2024 targets, you know I right now I'm not totally certain what it is outside of uh outside of mr jones i know that they've kind of fallen out of the asa Noel race which that happens um you know i did see eric pastrana and georgia fell out of it as well so uh you know it looks like gonzaga alabama still trying to get a visit arkansas is in there um, but the gators were not in the list at the end for him so that's kind of where i we're, what I know about recruiting right now. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where it's the, like I even think maybe the, the root of the question is like, um, you know, you lost a center. So what's going to um, are the you know, what other centers are the Gators looking at? You, of course, mentioned Ryan Jones, which I think is the, the big one. Um, and I think that, um, you know, someone else from, from the rock, I, I, I'm really still interested to see if, if Sammy, you may that kind of more like six, seven, 230 pound, like I was just like, like, he's one of the players that I look at him and I'm like, you know, he's going to Houston, like, let's be real here. And I don't even know if they've offered him, but like, he looks like a Houston player. So I'm just going to say he's going to Houston. Um, but like, it's, it's like, are the Gators going to get another like seven foot plus skinny guy? Like, no, I don't think that's there's a lot of guys like that out there. I'm I'm not sure that's the archetype they they totally are looking for. But yeah, like when you look at the players that um, Gators are after, it's a little bit more of that like six foot eight versatile kind of situation. Um, Flory Badunga put out his his final four schools, five schools, I think four. Um, the Gators were not on on that list, so um, that's a player kind of in that mold that uh, looks like the Gators are are out of. So um, it, it just kind of also shows that. Uh, and, and again, we've, we talk about this all the time in the portal where like, and this goes back to the Mike White era where I thought that the Gators needed to be much more aggressive getting multi-year centers because uh, the, the, there's just, there's, there's just never enough supply of big men to meet the demand. So, and I even look at right now it's at the 2024 class, which is, again, is not one that's even, you know, looked at to be a particularly strong recruiting class. Um, yeah. There's, there's not a lot of, you know, good centers out there. So, um, I don't know if you even want to, I don't know if you even said anything about John Bull or in this podcast thing, you might've decommitted since I, I don't really have, um, anything to say other, but, uh, on that matter, but other than like, Hey, do we, do we see a lot of skinny seven foot two guys in the sec? No. 
okay, maybe that's because that archetype isn't totally built or it's going to be a little bit of a tough fit. So I think the Gators are looking at a little bit more versatile. Um, you look at the way that Texas A&M, um, you know, Missouri, um, there's, there's been some teams in the league that have had a lot of success recently with those like physic, like 240 pounds, six foot eight centers. Um, I'd be interested to see if that's really what the Gators are looking to do. But when you look at their offers in that class, which is partially dictated by the market and who's available, um, it, it looks like they're kind of going in, in, in that range. So, um, and then I would also say that it looks like there's a lot of eggs in the basket of Micah Hanlogton, who of course has multi, uh, you know, multiple years of eligibility, um, and uh, should be back for the 2024-25 season um, and will hopefully be uh, be taking a lot of that load and uh, at center. And um, maybe it's a transfer as well, but, like, yeah, I, I don't think the Gators were ever going to look at a 2024 center as someone who, like, needed to start or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not even sure, like, if they don't take another – no, I, I, I mean, I'd be surprised they didn't take another front court player, I guess. But uh, yeah, it might it might not be that, like, pure center. It might be, like, that six foot eight, 230-pound kind of Ryan Jones situation. Yep, I would agree with that. And, and um, you know, they, they had Jace Richardson on campus for an unofficial uh, a year ago, high four-star guy, um, big-time basketball family, uh, another – run at landing a big time player from Nevada, uh, which has gone so well for the Gators in the past. Um, if they can get him on campus for an official, that would be interesting. Also it'd be super interesting considering that they have Kablikas and Aberdeen on their rosters right now as, as guys who potentially are kind of heirs apparent to that point guard position. Plus like Walter Clayton has multiple years of eligibility. So like, I'm not really sure even Jace Richardson is necessarily a priority. The guy I think they're going to get is Ryan Jones, who's a 6'8", 230-pound, strong, physical power forward. And it has been a long time since that type of player that bully ball wins you a game in SEC play in February with 14 rebounds and nine points. That's kind of been on Florida's team, and I think it'll be a great get. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bowl thing hurt. I did tweet out about it. I, I will stand by my Twitter thread, which now seems like it was four months ago. It was just a really weird recruitment. Um, and, you know, I hope that after several years of doing this with Eric, like this hasn't happened very often, but I know I can't remember another time where I told Eric this was going to happen and then had to like message him and be like, this is going to happen. And like, this was just weird. Like all the information I was getting, um, was all over the place. I don't usually share information unless I have three or four people telling me the same thing and someone in the bill and people just didn't know what was going on. And um, I'm not surprised he changed his mind. He has good representation. He obviously committed to Florida and thought he could market himself elsewhere. Um, and, you know, he didn't have a particularly good peach jam. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I thought uh, he, he can play better. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see if, if that affects his overall rating as well. And, you know, I wish, I wish John Bull the best of luck. Uh, the next listener question, unless Eric had anything else on that. Uh, I, I, I mean, one thing I'll just say like abstractly, and I, and I'm not saying this, like, this is me just pondering. I'm not trying to hint at anything, but, but one thing I do think is, is, is fascinating as I even just, you know, personally try to get a, 
a handle on the the NIL market for players. Um, one thing that's been really interesting um, to see is is how different teams evaluate the value of transfers versus high school players. And the Gators are extremely competitive with NIL in the transfer market. And when going after some players that were hotly contested, yeah, the, the Gators, like NIL was not an issue. Um, but if a high school player is, is thinking he's going to command the same as, a, you know, a, a veteran who is one of the hottest players on the transfer market, I don't know if the Gators have the same appetite to play. And, and I don't know if that, if that was the situation, but I could see a situation where, um, they're looking at what some Florida transfers got and said like, Oh, well, we should get that. Look, I'm a, you know, this is a five-star player. And in my personal opinion, John Bull is not worth what some of these transfers are worth. And that's the nature of the game. And that is the the changing nature of the game in, in college basketball. So um, yeah, that's interesting. And I also don't, again, this is not sourced whatsoever, but you mentioned that he did not play very well in peach champ. He also did not play very well at the, uh, the NBA PA camp. Um, that has like top or the NBA top 100 camp. Um, he did not play very well there either. So, and I'm not saying this was the situation, but if they were looking for a bargaining chip, if they were looking to, you know, at, at, at the time of the decommitment, if he was trying to command more value, um, he did not have a lot of leverage coming off of, of, of two fairly well publicized, um, not very good performances. Um, that is not to say he's, not a good player um and that's not to say that that was the situation and i know some people on twitter were saying like oh the gators saw that he played badly and backed off i i don't know if that's true but i would really doubt that that's true um, yeah but, I got, uh, sorry eric i, I yeah, did get no i did get a text message like right after the peach jam that said this is why it was a mutual parting of ways <laughs> interesting. Um, which i thought was super interesting but like i also just said i don't know five minutes ago this was such a weird recruitment that like even people whose information I always think is super reliable. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this kid. Um, other than he clearly is an agent who tried to shop him to overtime elite. I mean, he was going there at one point he was going to Missouri to play with Bennett. And then like, well, you know, and I, and I think that that's, I still think he is going to overtime elite this upcoming year. Yeah. Uh, which of course um, it was a, of course, he was the first going to come to you know Florida, um, but I do think he's going to go to overtime elite for high for his last high school year, and then he's going to go to Ole Miss. So again, that was another kind of confusion where everyone's like, "Oh, he's going to Ole Miss," and then he had the commitments to all or uh, to overtime elite, and then he had the commitment to Ole Miss. People were like, "Oh, I thought he was going to overtime elite." I believe he is going to overtime elite, keeping his eligibility, and then going to to Ole Miss. But uh, hey, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you know maybe you got to you know wait and see if maybe he ends up staying at at, uh, at overtime elite, but. Um, Actually, to be honest with you, I, I think the the going for a last year of high school in the overtime elite program and then going to college, there hasn't been a lot of players to do it. But I actually think that's not a bad route. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, thus ends a uh, confusing and uh, very, very quick chapter um, from when he tweeted. I think he was 10,000% committed. I, I think 10,000% committed. 
Yeah, for 20 days. Which, which I only know because uh, people know we haven't had him on for years. But Jim Root from Three Man Weave, a really good college basketball podcast. Him and me have an ongoing joke because like people would say, "Oh, they're 100% committed," and then you'd see a player tweet and they're like, "Oh, I'm 110% committed." Then you'd see another player and they're like, "Oh man, I'm just you know all glory to God, 120% committed." And it's just like then suddenly you know like hyperinflation is among us people because <laughs> John John Bull was all the way up to 10,000% committed. <laughs> Um, and, and, and is ultimately not coming to Florida, but, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to watch his career. Um, like I said, you don't see a lot of these, um, these player archetypes, um, really working in the sec slash high major basketball. And, uh, so if, if it does, I'll be interested and that will change the way recruiting happens, but, uh, yeah, we'll be sure to, we'll be sure to watch it. All right. So we have a couple more and then we're done. Uh, Sarah in Tampa Bay, who has really just endeared herself to, Miami Hurricanes Twitter in recent days. Mm. Um, Sarah, Sarah asks, who takes the biggest leap next season? Oh, I'm going to let Eric go first since he's always making me go first. Oh, shoot. That's when I for sure would have made you go first for. Oh, man. Um, it's 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 hard because, of course, like when if we are doing this like early in the podcast last year, um, the natural thing to do would be to look at the, you know, returning freshmen, returning sophomores, and you'd be talking about, uh, about those kinds of players and like, in terms of making a leap. But now it's like, um, in terms of the transfer portal era, like, could you say Micah hand locked in as, as someone who would take the, the biggest leap, which would not be my answer. Um, but just for example, um, I, I really think, and, and I don't know if this is in the spirit of the question, um, you can decide or Sarah can decide. And I'm sure she, she has no problem, you know, putting people in their place on, on Twitter, generally speaking. So she can tell me if this is not in the spirit of the question, <laughs> but I think the biggest leap relative to people's expectation will be that Tyree Samuel is uh, one of the most impactful players on the Gators. And I think right now, um, most people would have him as like, oh, he's coming off the bench. Oh, he's, you know, he's whatever, six or seven best player. I think he's going to be one of the most impactful players on the Gators and uh, it's it's hard to say a leap for someone who was uh, a, a starter in the Big East, um, but I don't know if I see someone who I would say is is the prototypical take a leap type situation. Someone who goes from four points a game to ten points a game, kind of like that. It, it's so it's just it's it's a harder question to answer now. So I'll just go leap relative to expectation, which might be just a, a horrible interpretation of this question, but you know we'll see. Yeah, I like uh, – I'll just do the same. So if we're doing like leap relative to expectation, I think that's that's super interesting. Well, um, I mean like it, it's like you don't uh, – you're. I don't think you're going to say Riley Kugel um, because he's already really good. Like yeah. I guess I guess you could say Denzel Aberdeen, but then like who else would even like fit the prototypical criteria because it's – you know what I mean? I feel like we have to reinterpret the question. Maybe I'm taking it way too deep that I, that I need to. No, I like it. I'm going to go Malik's going to like this. Oh no. I'm going to go I'm going to go Will Richard. Okay. And the reason I'm going to go Will Richard is I thought and I've been watching now I have not watched every SEC game over again yet, but I have watched 8 of them. Wow. So I have 10 to go, Eric. Cool. And I will say I will say what's happening. What was interesting is like when he was open in SEC play, um, he was just money. 
And I'm thinking with more shooters, he'll be open more. So I think that 39-8 that he shot last year, I mean, I think the stroke is 43-44 good. And I think if he makes a four-type percent jump, just based on what I'm watching, and keep in mind that, like, teams started – like, I'm getting to the middle of SEC play now, and teams are starting to, like, hey, here's our best perimeter defender. You just follow that guy around. Um because we don't think these other people can hurt us. Well, they aren't going to be able to do that Florida next season. Right. So I think that helps regardless of, again, this is one of those things that like, even if Florida's scheme doesn't improve dramatically, Will Richard gets better looks. Um, I also trust Will Richard to continue to figure out how to score in other ways, other than being a spot up shooter. And for me, the reason I think that gets you leap into that all SEC conversation, which is where I think he can be by his senior year. Um, as I mean, he doesn't really miss free throws. I wish he shot more of them. Florida played 33 games. He shot 70 free throws. I'd really like to, to, to see him shoot more than two free throws a game when he's six, four and built like a rock. Like, you know, I, I think I, I'm not saying he's ever going to be five or six free throws a game, but boy, four a game would be sure. Nice considering how often he makes them. And then if he does those things, Eric, you're talking about, you know, higher uh, point out point per game outfit output, higher three point percentage output, probably a higher effective field goal percentage. Hey, now we're talking about a guy who took a leap and has become like this NBA prospect that, that a few people think he is, including our guy Malik. Yeah, no, that's someone who also would fit in the category as possible kind of leap guy. But, you know, usually there'd be like seven or eight or nine guys um, in the, the leap potential pool in the prototypical sense of the question. Yeah, there's, there's less this year, but it's it's one of those things where I, I could also definitely see a universe where the Gators end up playing a lot of uh, the a lot of Will Richard on the bench with. Walter Clayton and Zion Pullen and Riley Kugel. And uh, I could see Will Richards minutes going down, but I could see a situation where he has less minutes averages about the same number of points. But if he does it on more self-creation, you could, you could absolutely say that is, is a, is a leap. Like he could score nine or 10 points a game, but if he's doing it um, off the bench and he's doing with a lot more self-creation, you could absolutely say that that's, that's a leap because um, while he, you know, had shot a good percentage and, um, was one of the higher point guys on the team. It was largely like, it wasn't like he was someone who was a play finisher and uh, that's great, but there is more value in someone who can create his own, his own kind of offense. So um, even if his role is like technically diminished from a minute standpoint, or maybe he doesn't start all the time, um, could still take a leap um, based on how he's getting that point. So I'm glad you pointed out that um, yeah, if he gets a little bit more self-creation that uh that could be that could definitely be leap category, even if that that production isn't isn't you know drastically higher. Speaking of Malik, we'll close with uh, Malik. If Walter Clayton, Riley Kugel, Zion Pullen, Will Richard, Tyree Samuel, Edge Jarvis, and Micah Hanlock in our seven starter level players for UF this year, compare this team to the Gator teams with at least seven starter level players, 2000, 2006, 2007. So first, Malik. You left out two teams that had seven starter level players. Um, 2011 and 2012 Florida certainly had seven, seven starter level players. They went to the Elite Eight. That was a team Matt McCall was an assistant for. 
Another McCall assistant team was the following year, 2012-2013, also went to the Elite Eight, um, also had seven starter caliber players. So if we use those five, in my view, um, we could answer the question. Uh, and I would say it's impossible to know yet, but I would put Florida in that like group with those last two teams that I've added to the list um, and not the final four and national championship teams that had that caliber. Um, the only difference of course is actually, I probably wouldn't put Florida in the 2011, 2012 group because that team had Bradley Beal. So even though he was freshman Bradley Beal, he's still Bradley Beal. <laughs> so uh, this team does not have that. But 2012-2013 was an interesting team. One of my favorite Florida teams, too. I mean, they went 29-8. Um, they were really, really special. They got absolutely shot out of the gymnasium by white dudes from Michigan in the Elite Eight. <laughs> uh in a game that like was over by the second media timeout because Michigan just decided they weren't going to miss any shots in the first half. But that team had seven starter level players. That had Eric Murphy, um, Michael Frazier, Mike Rosario. So that's a couple of McDonald's All-Americans and um, Michael Frazier. Then they had Will You Get, Dorian Finney-Smith, Scotty Wilbekin, Patrick Young, another McDonald's All-American, Kenny Boynton. That's probably eight starter level players. So maybe a little better, but that's like, that's where this team would compare sort of in that group. I don't think this sort of team's ceiling is the Elite Eight, really. I think it's probably the Sweet 16. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, we just saw FAU come within a basket of going to the national title game. So, you know, anything can happen, I guess, if, if the coach and the team catch fire. Uh, but that would kind of be my answer to that question in a, in a long winded circuitous manner, Eric. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I, uh, like, again, I still think that Malik might be just trying to troll me slightly because he knows that I don't think Micah Hadlockton's a starting caliber player, but I will. There's always know. a troll in a Malik question and we're going to allow it. <laughs> oh, we're no. We're going to allow it because I well, love Malik and I hope you feel better by the way, buddy. Yeah, no, I hope he does too. But uh, I actually, no, I, I don't think he's actually trolling because I know he does 100% believe that Micah Hadlockton is like an no, SEC I'm level starter. So I shouldn't actually say he's a tease trolling. But um, yeah, that's that was just my first as you're reading out the names. I'm like, oh, Micah Hadlockton's coming too. And maybe he is, um, but, uh, you know, to be determined. Um, let's say he is, of course, for the sake of the question. Um, I still think with the teams that Malik mentioned with the ones you tacked on, the higher end skill is just not there for this team. I, I I don't think, again, we will see, but you look at the like top end talents on, on those teams, like not only were they, you know, deep with having seven starter caliber players, um, like, like you said, like you added in a team with, with Bradley Beal, um, of course, looking at uh, the team that won a championship, like, yeah, they had NBA players. Um, it's just like, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Like when I when I look at those teams in this team, I and you look at who are the best three players on each team. I don't think that the upcoming Gators like would. I don't want to say belong in the same conversation, but like I would say that that's that even going into the season, you look at all those teams and those those top kind of top three ish players would be another level than what the Gators currently have. So while I think the Gators do have some really nice depth, they're going to need someone 
other than Riley Kugel to really step up and be a big time SEC level player and probably multiple guys. Um, if this team is going to, you know, kind of maybe reach the heights of some of these um, two and three seeds and, and better that uh, that have been mentioned. So that would be the, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't know how far I'm going to want to say this team's going to go or something like that. Um, but I will say if I'm comparing them to those teams, that's just what jumps out. Yeah. Last question was from UF enthusiast. I missed him. So I'm sorry. He asked what this team's ceiling was. Is this team good enough to be in the top 25? Um, I mean, I, I've said, I think that they are now that they've added Zion Pullen. I do think that's kind of the ceiling. It's kind of like, what would be cool for Florida? Cause it hasn't happened in a couple years now, really since the Kerry Blackshear year, Florida hasn't kind of hung out in the top 25 for any extended period of time. And obviously that year, they started in the top five, fell out, and then by the end of the year, they were like 20, 21, right? I think Florida can kind of be in that range where they're in that discussion as a six seed, maybe even a five seed. And, like, people might frown on that because, like, I guess they have these visions of the four elite eights and stuff. And I don't think Florida basketball has gone through a dry period anywhere near what Florida football has gone through. I mean, shoot. Just a couple of years ago, Florida had the longest NCAA tournament appearance in the SEC, right? But I do think it's been a while since Florida just kind of like was there all year and went into the NCAA tournament as a six seed who like everybody just kind of put in Sharpie in the second round in their bracket, right? Like, oh, they're playing the 11 seed Old Dominion from the – oh, Florida's going to win that game. Like that is the ceiling for this team is going to Selection Sunday, their first-round matchup comes up, and everybody goes, oh, the Gators are going to beat them. And you might hate that answer, but that's my answer. And I don't mean you, Eric. I mean listeners. (laughs) No, I'm just – I'm still laughing because, like, just to see how far we have come as a college basketball society where, like, you know, a solid starter on Virginia Tech comes to the Gators and suddenly it's like – he they're like the preseason national championship pick by a lot of like legitimate media members. Like, <laughs> and again, like, Hey, I'm not saying like, Hey, I was pumped too. I thought the Gators were going to be in the mix for a final four. There's it was a lot one of, of those... shine on the Mike white Rose. Then we got, it was, and it's just funny to think like it was on the backs of, of two, you know, really good recruits that weren't great recruits by all accounts. Like, again, I know they were ranked well, but even like relative to their ranking, everyone was like, oh, these are solid recruits. But like, and then like, what would be, you know, a solid transfer. And suddenly it was like, wow, this is like a final four team, which like, it's just like, if that happened now, if the Gators brought in similar recruits and a similar transfer, like that would like, that would just not move the, that wouldn't move the needle nationally whatsoever. Um, but you know, simpler times back then, man, simpler times. Um, I, I would even add to say like, it's, it's, it's just been a long time since the Gators have really been nationally relevant and it's yeah. kind of even too bad because like that, that season, a lot of the story was like, wow, look at these Gators that were final four picks that are on the bubble are maybe going to be an eight seed. Like even that was kind of the story of, of that team, which was too bad because the, the preseason expectations were probably wrong, but it would just be nice. Like, I, th- you know, I don't think the Gators are going to be ranked to start the season, um, but it's not like if they, you know, beat Virginia right away or whatever, um, I could see them being ranked and it would, yeah, it'd be just great to keep the Gators just like 
consistently nationally relevant for the whole season. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I said that I think that they're like the 23rd best team in the country. Um, I would say that like if they end up being like a top 16 team, like a sweet 16 team, um, that would not be unbelievable at all. I'd probably say that's something like the ceiling and, but of course, like you said, Neil, like it's so hard to say ceiling now because like now, especially with how last year went in college basketball, if you told me like there's like 75 teams that you could say, like could maybe make the national championship game. And it would be like less crazy than what we just saw last year with the final four and the national and, and then, and then San Diego state make it to the national title game. So, um, I guess anyone in the country's ceiling is ridiculously high because <laughs> that's what we've seen. But uh, yeah, I would say a, a, a really high end outcome for this team would be a sweet 16 for me. Yeah. I mean, I did radio in, in Austin, Texas uh, a couple of weeks ago, just kind of talking about SEC stuff and basketball came up and, and I guess I can just build on what Eric's talking about. Eric said 23. So here's, this is interesting. I was asked about Texas and Rodney Terry and, and like how they'll fit in in the SEC. And I said, I think they're going to fit in better in basketball than they will in football. And just, I don't know if I was like half trolling with the radio hosts when I said that, or <laughs> I just kind of said, Hey man, Texas has been in a, a place almost as dark as Florida in football for over a decade. They have work to do, right? They have enough grass to mow in, in that sport. But I did say like, Hey, you know, Florida reminds me a lot of Texas um, in basketball this year. And when I said that, I think there were some eyebrows raised. And then I looked at their roster and I was like, well, it's like Tyrese Hunter, Max Admus, who came from Oral Robertson, is really fabulous. We all know about him. But then it's like Dylan DeSue, Dylan Mitchell, and like Caden Shedrick. Like, I don't know. Florida's starting five is pretty comparable to that. <laughs> It just is, um, you know, I mean, maybe you like Dylan DeSue a ton and I get it. That's fine. But I don't know. That's guy kind of like left the SEC and he didn't necessarily do it because Vanderbilt was poor. He just kind of left, um, you know, so I don't know. That's a team that ESPN currently has ranked 24th. Eric said like 23 would make sense. Like, <laughs> I, I could see Florida and Texas being kind of interchangeable. And that's kind of the roster I see where, where if, if Florida's at the end of the year and it's late February, March, and there's like a 22 or a 20 or a 24 by Florida's name, that's fine. I actually think that'll generate a lot of excitement around the program and the fan base, which is what I think is most important right now for Todd Golden. Yeah. It's like, I think if you on, on college basketball reference, um, you can like see a really nice chart where it shows teams like when they're, when they've been in the top 25 over their like history. And like, again, if you would have asked me how many weeks of the Gators, you know, spent in the top 25 over the last, you know, eight years, um, you know, I don't know what my guess would be, but like it wouldn't have been high. And then you look at that chart and it's even lower than what you think. Like, it's actually like stunning. And I think it's like, you know, it's like Neil mentioned, it was the times they were in the top 25 was like, when they started the season high in the top 25 and then like lost and lost and lost. And you could see that they're like, they stayed in the top 25 for like three weeks, but it was like descending rapidly in, in the right. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, but that has been the state over the last eight years or so where it's just like, 
The Gators have not been particularly nationally relevant. They have spent way less time in the top 25 than, than you can imagine. So if they were to even stick in the top 25 for like four consecutive weeks, that would be one of their most impressive stretches in the last <laughs> the last while. So um, that would be great. Um, I, I I know it you know really matters to casual fans if they can see that uh, that number next to the name, if they can see them on the 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 Sports Center ticker because they're only showing the top twenty five games um, or showing up on the main page of ESPN um, when it shows the games happening that night because they're only showing the top twenty five. Like um, yeah, it would really matter to the casual fan, and uh, it would matter to the serious fan because I'd like to see it as well. So yeah, I I get that. Oh, I wanted to get uh, one other thing that, you know, brief announcement for anybody that that isn't moved by multiple games in Charlotte. We didn't even get to this, so we'll save schedule for the next pod. Um, But and I'm sure I got to go. I'm sure Eric's got to go. But I did want to say, folks, that if you're interested in you don't want to go to New York for the preseason NIT, you don't want to come say hi to me in Charlotte the multiple opportunities you get to do that, which I, I highly recommend saying hi to me. I'm really friendly. Um, the Florida women's team will be in the pink flamingo championship. Uh, it Bahamar, the Bahamas, uh, and that tournament um, is in November during feast week, uh, an exceptional field that includes um, the Gators, uh, University of Southern California and Ohio state out of the big 10. So a lot of fun, go on down and cheer on the women's uh, basketball team down in the Bahamas. If you aren't moved by a trip to New York or coming up to me to eat good barbecue in the Carolinas, I'll let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.